Just like that, the final hour is here on this Wednesday edition. Outkick 360, 6th and Peabody is the home of Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine and the Outkick Studios. Chad, we've got plenty coming up in regards to the Sweet 16. Tips off tomorrow. We'll be there at Madison Square Garden where we'll see some solid matchups. Michigan State, Kansas State first, then Tennessee FAU. Elite in action on Saturday. Uh, one of the four games tomorrow, and then, of course, four more on Friday. I liked what Tim Brando had to say about Marquise Noel and what he could be in New York returning home. Similar yeah. to what Zakai Ziegler could have been, a guy from that's the city point. that's returning home, and now he'll be there on the bench recovering from surgery that he had last week, was not with the Tennessee team in Orlando, will be with them in New York City. But I think two really good matchups. I love Michigan State, Kansas State to start it. And I do think that while Tennessee's better than FAU, it's not the easiest matchup style for Tennessee without Zakai Ziegler. Well, they're a good three-point defense, but I think I'd really like to see this matchup with Zakai Ziegler against those really good guards for FAU. You're not going to see that now. So the strength of that team is they got four small guys running around a seven-foot center, and all those guys can shoot threes. But two really good matchups in that East Regional. So, and I'll be in Madison Square Garden for the first time ever. So I'm excited same, about same that. Same for me. Yeah, never same been. Same for me there. Uh, so consider this. So the way the bracket was set up, we could have seen, we're not going to, Tennessee and Kentucky match up for the right to go to the Final Four. Right. Um, but So we miss out on that matchup. We quite possibly will also see Houston and Texas for the right to go to the Final Four. And that is still alive. I mean, there's some really good storylines throughout this. And Brando was right to bring up Gonzaga and UCLA and the history they've had in the tournament yeah. in this exact round uh, for the right to move on. It's going to be fun. The committee doesn't screw that part of it up. No. They, they always seem to get the potential matchups right where teams are going to face off against each other. They, they know what they're doing yeah. when they go down the line and try to get these matchups the way they want it. We're going to reseed these teams, though, based on where we see them now after the opening round and the route of 32. And Chad, I think we'll have some very similar uh, seedings. And then uh, you were right. You said yesterday you had a trouble with seats 5 through 12. Uh, I did as well. And I went based on matchup and what I've seen uh, overall, top to bottom, and what, I, what I'm predicting on my bracket. But uh, I think the first two for me are obvious. I don't know about you. Alabama, for me, remains the number one. They're scoring 82 points per game. They hit 10 threes per game. Nate Oates can coach. Uh, Miller and Clowney are definitely NBA players. Sears and Quinterly are great as well. No one's picking anyone but Bama right now as the best team remaining and the team that's the favorite to move on. Houston, for me, was verified with Sasser and his health and the fact that they put up 50 points on Auburn in the second half and held them to 23 uh, on their way to where they are currently. UConn, I have them much higher than where they... I, I had UConn in my Final Four. I have UConn now as the third best team remaining. Their, their depth, they can beat you in different ways. You know, so many of these teams are defensive-based. A handful of them can shoot the three. All of them, for the most part, have great guard play. And if they don't, they're not going to last very much longer. Point being, UConn can do all of that. And they're well-coached. And... I, I think they have a great shot at being a surprise team in Houston. UCLA's right behind them. And I, I put UCLA behind them because they're a great defensive team, great leadership. I just think that UConn, top to bottom, is a more diverse group compared to UCLA, despite 
what we've seen with the uh, experience and the coach there. Gonzaga, I think at five, I have them a bit low. And I think the majority of the college basketball fans would have them lower on this list, quite frankly. They have, they, they score a lot. Not many teams score a lot of points anymore. Gonzaga does, and they do it on the routine. And to play with them, no matter how good your defense is, you got to put up 70-plus. And a lot of these teams struggle to put up 60. That's why I have the Zags at five. Texas right behind them, veteran team. Didn't miss a beat with when Chris Beard was fired with cause. Uh, Rodney Terry has done an excellent job filling in for them. Hard to fluster them. And they have five players averaging nine or more points per game. Kansas State right behind them. Love them. Uh, Chad, you mentioned Noel. Uh, Keontae Johnson as well. Yeah. Great story. Uh, and they, a tough matchup. And they the way run, he plays. They run up and down the court. They don't, they don't shoot a ton of threes well, right? But they... They turn you over, and they get points in transition. They get a lot of twos, not threes. They were up four points at halftime, or three points on Kentucky, not having hit a three in the first half. At one point, I want to say they were 0 for 14. And then they hit yeah. a little flurry of threes with about eight eight minutes and under left in the game that buried Kentucky. But they, they, they beat Kentucky without shooting well from three at all. They get in transition. They get 15 turnovers a game on average. Great in that department. Creighton, they protect the rim very well. And it's odd to watch a defense allow you to just drive. They've got the seven-footers there, and they, you know, they're blocking three or four shots a game. And they don't foul all that often. That guy's averaging like less than two fouls per game, and somehow he's doing more than just taking up space in the paint. Uh, attack the rim, I would say, and get him in foul trouble. It doesn't happen, though, Chad. Creighton, because of that, they are, you know, not deep, but they don't have to be because they don't get into foul trouble. Yeah, Kalkbrenner is a difference maker. And they are hot or not from three. It's remarkable when you look at their wins and losses. Tennessee's right behind them. I have them on nine seed. Identity and poise. I know who Tennessee is. And despite the naysayers, I was certainly one of them. I didn't think they would get to the Sweet 16 based on the team they were bringing into the tournament. But they know who they are. And they rally behind their defense with pure effort. They have guys step up and make big plays. And if that continues, they should be ranked much higher than where I have them. But I don't know if that's going to be consistent enough to be ranked ahead of the teams that I believe are more consistent than that roster based on who they are now, not the total season. Uh, they were great last weekend. Michigan State, man, they shoot the three. And because of that, they can absolutely go to Houston in the Final Four. 16 turnovers by Marquette against this Spartans defense. And they get a ton of points in the, the second chance opportunities. Izzo, March is his month. They're 10th, though, because of, again, they're a lot like Tennessee in that regard for me. Arkansas lost four or five games entering the tournament, and then they got hot. I don't know if that continues. I also think the emotional drain of making it to the Sweet 16 uh, they reacted more emotional than any team last weekend to me. And I think that yeah, plays a factor. Took their shirt off, took his shirt off well, and that, swung it over his head. Their two best players were crying. Yeah. Um, this is a team that's been there, and their two best players were crying. I, I wonder if that plays a factor on just the emotional dump, the energy dump. Maybe not. They got a tough matchup, though, against UConn. Xavier and Miami are neck and neck to me, uh, and followed by the three, San Diego State, FAU, and Princeton. I looking at Miami, undersized, 
And in, in regards to Xavier, they're live and die by the three. If you get hot from three, more power to you're advancing. But if not, they're not making it that far. And I think more teams are solid uh, top to bottom defensively than what I've seen from those teams. But both of those teams are very capable of winning their matchups. That's my one through 16. And I don't think the, I don't think the final three seeds are any surprise to you, Chad. Or maybe not the first two, but last three, San Diego State, FAU, and with uh, Princeton. We have some similarities. We have quite a few more differences than Good. I expected also on my top 16. I'll, I'll go bottom up okay. with this. Uh, our bottom two seeds are the same. Okay. Princeton, 16. Florida Atlantic, 15. This is the classic debate to me of who's hotter right now, who's the better team. Florida Atlantic has won an absurd amount of games this They've year. They've lost three games. They've lost three games all season. They have been terrific within their conference. They've won some Power 5 games out of conference also. How about this? Ole Miss beat them. But Princeton is playing <laughs> Yeah, Princeton is playing better right now. I mean, they are. I, I don't they think are, yes. Florida Atlantic is a three-point shooting team who's not shot the three well at all yet, and they're in the Sweet 16. So that shows you how good this team is. Now it helps they got Fairleigh Dickinson, the 16 team and a uh, 16 seed in round 2, and it helps that Memphis lacked any poise at all late in the game in a very close game in round 1. But Florida Atlantic's good. So I, I give Florida Atlantic the, the nod over Princeton for the full body of work, even though right now yeah. Princeton is definitely playing better than FAU. But as we've seen in this tournament, that, that oftentimes doesn't matter, especially when you wait four, five, six days to play your next game. Now that we've had this week break to get ready for these games. I've got Arkansas at 14, lower than where you had them. I think the Arkansas team is right where they should be. Eric Musselman as the coach is right there with Tom Izzo early on in his career in terms of delivering in March. So maybe give them a slight bump up for that reason, for the Musselman effect. And any coach who takes his shirt off after a game has my vote also. You and I have Michigan State, Arkansas back-to-back just in different parts of this bracket. But I agree with you. I mean, they they have a ton of talent, though, Arkansas. San Diego State's very underrated, I think, in this bracket. Um, Very physical team, rebounds the ball well, great offensive rebounding team. Not terrific offensively, but can get the ball to the basket. I've got them at 13. Michigan State really, from a play standpoint, does not belong in the Sweet 16 with the season they've had. But they've got Tom Izzo, and they've got uber amounts of confidence. Sharpshooters. They've got shooters, but in the tournament, we saw this in the round two game, they go to the basket. And they have the confidence to get there and get fouled if necessary, but they take the ball to the rack. And they go strong to the basket. I, I like Michigan State. I've got them at 12 for that reason. Creighton, uh, I'm going to be frank, they said no to an interview request with their coach just flat out. So they're 11th. They probably should be 8th or ninth. I thought they should be 16th. But I, I hold a grudge. So they're 11th on this list, and that's all I'll say about Creighton. Miami, number 10, great guard play. Isaiah Wong, Nigel Pack, guards win in March. They've got them. I underestimated them a year ago. I underestimated them going into this tournament. Not doing it again. You may say 10's pretty low for them, but they've got a chance to go to the Final Four. That's that's a team I put a little bit of money on because they have long odds to go to the Final Four, but I love the way Miami plays. I love their guards. Tennessee is another example of hot at the moment versus what they've done all year. What they've done all year is played suffocating defense. They're number one in the Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency rankings. Great defensive team. They struggle to score. They go through long droughts of not scoring points. Leading into the tournament, they were pretty bad for the last month, month and a half of the season. Didn't matter. They played offense better than they have in a long time against Duke. They're capable of that. When they're hitting threes, 
They're not going to be beat by everyone on in this Sweet 16 outside of maybe Alabama. And guess what? Tennessee's beaten Alabama. Not many teams have done that this year also. So if Tennessee's hitting threes, they're not losing. Now that's the challenge. Here's a little fact for you that shocked me. Of the Sweet 16 teams, all of them, guess who has the highest three-point percentage in this tournament so far? The Tennessee Vols are shooting the three better than anyone else. Does that run out in Madison Square Garden? We'll find out tomorrow night. Number eight on my list, love Kansas State. That's the team I favor to get out of New York City. Um, they are a three seed for a reason, better seed than Tennessee. Love the, the resilience that I saw against Kentucky. They play great defense. What a year one for Jerome Tang. They were picked dead last yeah. in the Big 12. They're a three seed. They knock off a blue blood in round two. And here they are in Madison Square Garden playing in the Sweet 16. Love Xavier's depth. Love how they shoot the three. They beat a really hot pit team. They've got a great coach in Sean Miller. I've got them at seven. Texas does everything well. They can score the ball with multiple people too. I've got them at six. Houston at five. This is where we get really different, Hutton. Houston without Sasser, I would have had as a double-digit team in this, in this Sweet 16. With Sasser, I've got him fifth. I'm still not completely sold that he's going to be 100% moving forward, and that is such a critical part of this team. Probably have them a little bit low, based on most people's rankings, but I've got the Cougars at five. UCLA, Gonzaga, I believe is going to be for a spot in the final four when they play uh, tomorrow night. So that's a big one. I like Gonzaga getting to the final four. I've got them at three, UCLA at four. I love this UConn team. Do not sleep on them. Great depth, very physical. They do everything well. There's no huge weakness with UConn. I've got them second. And Hutton, the clear-cut number one for both of us, the team we have winning it all and cutting down the nets in Houston, yeah. the Alabama Crimson Tide have been the best team all season. They've been the best team in this tournament. I expect that to continue through the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. I still miraculously have my Final Four alive. Uh, Kansas State in the Final Four to match up against Alabama, uh, followed by uh, Houston and UConn. And I've got Houston and Bama meeting in Houston for the national championship with the Crimson Tide winning, I look some of the some of my seeds are based on my Final Four picks, but my Final Four picks have lived up to the expectation of where I should have seeded them one through sixteen. Chad, your your championship is still there with Bama uh, alive. Yeah, they're they're the clear cut favorite. What's your Final Four look that's like? That's it. That's it. That's ready for my championship. That you had is, Indiana. I have yes, Indiana out to my once again. I underestimated the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, Marquette also. Okay. It was 18 to 5 against Michigan State, and they battled back a little bit. But once that happened, I'm thinking Izzo. January, February, Izzo, April, May, June, July, right. and the year goes on. So Alabama, Gonzaga, my national championship game still intact, and I've got Alabama cutting down the neck, the nets. One, one interesting thing on Bama, though, the, and should point this out you mentioned San Diego State. They don't score a lot, they're known for their defense. But the, the, when Bama has lost this year, it has been when the refs have allowed physical play yep. to their teams. And that's what San Diego State wants to do. I'm not betting that game San Diego's way, but I'm saying like it, the style for which Bama struggles against typically this year has been against a team like San Diego State. Similar style of play. Tennessee is an example. No doubt. And they were allowed to play in that game yes. in Knoxville, and Tennessee won. Um, I think the adjustment officiating-wise 
to this week. By the way, this is the biggest week, I think, to make that jump, right? If you make it to the Sweet 16, it's huge for every program because that's going to the Final Four is enormous, obviously, but the biggest jump is getting through that 68 down to 16 and having multiple days to prepare for your next matchup in the Sweet 16, I think is a, is a big jump. Also a big jump, do officials course correct at mm, all? I hope not. And an example is what we've seen with the bitching and complaining about Tennessee being too dirty or too physical. I fully expect a course correction in this game. Dusty May and Florida Atlantic and their players, I see one, they're, they're golden, they're seven-foot center, said Tennessee does play dirty at times. We've seen it on tape. I'm thinking this is lobbying for exactly what you want. This is a Nick Saban type it's a team move. that's won 31 games in the season. You lobby, you lobby throughout you know, the now. week and get, get everyone ready, try to get everyone on your side that, yeah, yeah, this team's too physical, they're dirty, because they want the game called a certain way. And if it's not called a certain way, advantage Tennessee. I think we'll see it called the way that Duke wanted it to be called in round two. They will correct themselves this week with this officiating crew, and it'll be called – there will be a lot of touch fouls called in this game. Let's dive into the matchups of the Sweet 16. John Fanta is about to join us from the field of 68, and he also covers the Big East and sat down with Rick Pitino after the opening presser for St. John's. We'll get his feedback there as well on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on. John Fanto will join us momentarily, wrapping up uh, some press availability, I believe, with Georgetown after uh, yesterday's coverage. Uh, he was, of course, covering St. John's and Rick Pitino. will give us the details of that from the field of 68. Coming I up. am so excited to watch Rick Pitino at St. John's. Dude. I can hardly contain my excitement the way he talks about it. <laughs> I mean, he was. we're going to talk to John about this because he spoke to him, but I mean, in the interview with John, I'm, I'm reading quotes that he was tweeting yeah. from the interview, and you know, he says, hey, Mike Anderson's a really good guy, decent guy, good coach. But he's got no idea what it's like to coach in New York City. And it takes a certain breed. And it's all about winning here. And I'm the guy that's going to come in and win. I'm thinking, yes, bring it on, Ricky P. Bring it on. And you got Patino, who's demanding to play more games at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Where we'll be tomorrow with Clay. Looking forward to it. First time. I know John Fanta's probably been there a few times before. No doubt. Uh, we'll speak to him uh, right now. John Fanta joins us from the field of 68. Always brings the energy and the knowledge. Uh, you can follow them there on all of the College Hoops coverage. John, great to great to speak with you. I know it's a busy day for you, a busy week. Uh, transitioning to the Sweet 16 and in between, some big news out of the Big East with what they've done in their coaching hires. Let's start with where you are at Georgetown. What did you make of, of the news today and, and the introductory presser? Well, guys, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Obviously, a huge day here at Georgetown, a program that has been stuck in the darkness for quite some time. You're talking about a combined two Big East wins over the last two years of the Patrick Ewing era. So Georgetown was in desperate need to find a winner. And that's what led them to the ballsy, bold move of picking Ed Cooley from within the conference. Now, of course, he had to make the decision to come here, and he did. And the reason why he made that decision was because he believes that he can resurrect Georgetown basketball. 
That is why Ed Cooley took the job. And he also thinks in his mind that Georgetown's brand is bigger than Providence's brand, which Georgetown is one of the most traditional brands in the history of college athletics. John Thompson, for what he stood for, that's something that Cooley was attracted to. It is why he is in this position right now. Um, he met John Thompson in the 1980s. He became, he, he fell in love with the guy. And that that has always stuck with Ed. And I think that that's why he is here at Georgetown. You know, you go 12 years at any place and over 50 years in any one city. And at a certain point, you might want to change. And Ed Cooley looked at me in the eye today before our one-on-one our -on -one was going to come out at some point here. And he just said, you know, man, he's like, I, I wanted to change. I wanted to see if maybe all the stuff that I've learned it can do could happen somewhere else. I wasn't just going to go anywhere, but he likes the prospect of kind of being the guy that changes Georgetown basketball in the modern era, because it's not 1984 anymore. It's time for somebody to resurrect this program. And he believes he's the guy to do it. And Ed Cooley leaving Providence for Georgetown has sparked this debate about what's the bigger, better program, Georgetown or Providence. I don't think there's much of a debate there. It's Georgetown but Providence does have something, John. You you know that well. Uh, reports are Kim English may be the guy from George Mason that's going to get the Providence job. What is Providence within the Big East? What do other coaches think about that program and that job? And what are their what's their potential? Let's say if they hire Kim English. Yeah, I think right now Providence is a job in the Big East that is not on the level of UConn and Georgetown for the brands that those two schools are and for the money that they can commit, and for the alumni bases that they have, and for the when they're great, guys, when they're great. At one point or another, Georgetown and UConn were blue bloods in college basketball. They were. Providence is on level with all the other jobs in the Big East. It's a top-tier job in the Big East. Guess why? Ed Cooley. <laughs> he has made the job better. You know how? Not just off of him, the person, but... They built major, major facilities for him. Um, you're talking about millions of dollars spent in a practice facility in Providence. You're talking about a whole renovation of the coaches' offices. Uh, the players have their own therapy lounges. They've got their own training center. Like Providence has invested a ton, a ton of money in their facilities, and they've got good NIL. Providence is a desirable job nationally. Ten years ago, it was not. Ten years ago, it was a job in the basement, in the gutter, down the drain. Not a desirable position. But Bob Driscoll, the former AD there, and Steve Napolillo, the current AD there, who, by the way, a lot of people were like, well, did Cooley cause a rift or something with Napolillo? Cooley helped Napolillo get the job. He wanted Napolillo to get the job. So, you know, don't believe everything that you hear. Don't believe everything you hear. Providence is a good job in college basketball. That has changed because they have committed resources towards the – as for Kim English, he's 34 years old. Um, he is regarded as a rising star in the industry, and I'm told by sources that, yes, this is a done deal, and uh, Providence should announce it maybe tonight, if not tomorrow. But what really infatuated Steve Napolillo with Kim English, Napolillo, the Providence AD, English – the George Mason head coach just led them to their first 21 season in six years was his recruiting acumen. English is a hustler. He played in the NBA in the last decade. He gets these kids. He is a guy that can come in and being a younger guy in this can take on this job with hunger 
and comes recommended by a Hall of Fame coach in Rick Barnes, who is the, he was an assistant under at Tennessee. John Fanta with us, Fox College Basketball. It covers the Big East there. You can also check him out with the field of 68. Uh, don't believe everything we hear, but should I believe Rick Patino from yesterday in the press conference where he is, he is certain of the success that he's about to bring? I don't doubt that. And give us, if you will, some flavor of the sit-down that you had with him yesterday in your one-on-one chat. One of the defining characters in college basketball right now uh, who will resurrect St. John's. It's not a matter of if. It's not even a matter of when. It's going to happen. He's one of the few guys that his coach speak isn't coach speak. He means it. Rick Pitino is a winner a winner in every sense of that word. You could talk about his past and the allegations and the scandal and the corruption, all that stuff. The fact is that's in the rearview mirror now. St. John's changed their entire program yesterday. They became Destination TV. They became Destination College Basketball inside Madison Square Garden. For the big, big East games, when they host UConn, or now they host Georgetown, Villanova, a St. John's ticket could end up being as hot as a Nick ticket at the Garden. This is old school Big East in 2023. St. John's hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since 2000. This was the Red Storm saying, we are sick and tired of hearing about the glory days. We're sick and tired of losing. And we're going to hire this guy because at the end of the day, the stuff that he did is in the rearview mirror. And he knows how to win. And talking to Patino, he's confident he can do it. He told me. Not everybody's going to be a fifth for him that was in the past at St. John's. He doesn't mince words. And he said, in New York, New York is not patient. And he said, that's a good thing. I'm not patient either. I got to do this right now. He is going to have the financial assistance of a guy who sold vitamin water, Mike Rapoli. Rapoli is going to be very involved in how St. John's is run. He's got millions of dollars. And guys, college sports has become a race of Scrooge McDuck pools. That's just how it is. Patino said in his press conference, college sports is pro sports. But guess what? There might be a lot of football money. There is. But don't count out some of these big East schools where basketball is king and backroom deals at Italian restaurants have happened for years. All of, the, all of that money funnels right into that basketball program. That's a difference. You're not splitting your interest there like you are at other schools nope. amongst different sports. You're right about that. John Fanta, our guest on Outkick 360. UConn and Arkansas tomorrow night. I'm fascinated with this matchup. John, what do you think about the Huskies and the Hogs? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fascinating matchup. Let's begin with Arkansas. Amazing win over Kansas. They did it with Ricky Council. They did it with Nick Smith, and Devo Davis. Devo Davis is playing his tail off. He's 8-2 and two in the NCAA tournament in his career. He's a winner in every sense of that word. But guys, Connecticut's a freight train right now. They really are. And Adama Sonogo in two NCAA tournament wins last week, a combined 52 points and 21 rebounds. Jordan Hawkins changed the game with four threes in five minutes against St. Mary's. UConn, their ability to get perimeter shooting from Hawkins, from Alex Caravan, from Tristan Newton and company, it determines what happens in this game. Arkansas is going to try to attack the rim. So will Sonogo stay out of foul trouble? Will Donovan Klingon? What will his contribution be, the seven-foot freshman? This comes down to who has more success doing what they do. 
and which defense rises to the occasion. If I'm Arkansas, you know what I'm saying? Hey, UConn, you're not going to tempo. You're not going to get any pace. We're going to keep you playing in the half court. We're going to make you shoot over us. Done. And that's why I like Connecticut to win tomorrow night. Who do you have coming out of the garden headed to the final four, John, and, and why? Michigan State. Why? Tom Izzo. Is, I mean, really, are we going to bet against this guy? I mean, I, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I can't do it. Tom Izzo, the last two times he's been in the Sweet 16, has made the Final Four. Uh, you're talking about, you know, a, a team with Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard and Jade Nakins, a backcourt that's steadily gotten better. And Joey Hauser is, to this NCAA tournament, what Brady Manick was last year for Carolina. Stretch four who makes those tough shots. And Tom's gotten his team to play defense. They cut off Tyler Kolick from Marquette. Why can't they cut off Marquise Noel from Kansas State? I like the Spartans at the Garden. And what Rick Barnes has done at Tennessee and a potential matchup with either Kansas State or, or Michigan State, uh, the Vols, uh, Chad and I just discussed this. We still have them around 9 or 10 whenever we were reseeding the Sweet 16 right now. Uh, but they got hot. Can they keep that going? And where do you actually see the ceiling being for the Vols right now, based on what you saw out of the opening weekend? Yeah, I think the ceiling for the Vols is a Final Four. I mean, I, I, I really do. I think that they can make the Final Four, which at that point, why can't you win the national championship? Olivier Camwa played his tail off uh, last weekend against Duke. And Santiago Vescovi, you know, as much as the Zakai Ziegler injury was rough, and it was, and Rick Barnes is doing his best coaching job. He's proving that all those narratives about him, that he can't coach the tournament, get out of here. It's a bunch of garbage. Tennessee has a great coach. And last weekend against Duke, Barnes outcoached John Shire. And they got shot making. Tennessee comes down to perimeter shot making. If they get anything from downtown, they're going to win. Uh, they're a tough team. They're a hard-nosed team. I like them to beat Florida Atlantic. They could beat Michigan State or Kansas State. If Cam Wire or Vescovy is leading them offensively, they will beat one of those two teams. I just worry about their offense from game to game. So, Hutton and I, from the beginning, we've watched a lot of Alabama. We think they're the best team in the country. We still have them winning it all. What do you think about the field that's left, John? Who do you like the most right now? Is it Alabama? Is it someone else? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's Alabama's to lose. Um, I, I don't think that that's some hot take. I think everybody expects them to win it. But I got to tell you guys, I, I still really like this Texas team. Uh, Dylan Disu had a terrific week last week. Combined for 45 points to 20 rebounds. And they got backcourt play. You know, uh, plenty of it. And Serge Jabari Rice has embraced his role off the bench. And I just think with everything that happened with Chris Beard, this team decided to rally around each other and just play hard. They've got leaders. They've got seniors. They defend. Marcus Carr is, is a killer. Um, and Tyrese Hunter transferred to Iowa State for this moment. Christian Bishop transferred from Creighton for this moment. Guys that transferred came together and said, you know what? Our second destination is going to be our best destination. I know a lot of people think Houston, Alabama is a shoo-in. I think, I think Houston loses to Miami tomorrow. Uh, or excuse me, Friday, upset pick, upset pick. I've got Jim Laranaga in Miami. But I'm telling you, Texas is the real deal. Alabama's the clear front runner, but don't count out those Longhorns. 
Chad, he's on board, well, just like you are with Miami. Everyone's like, oh, no Duke, no Carolina. Here's the ACC with Miami. And uh, they will surprise a lot of people if they make that run. John, uh, final thing for you. Last year, all the discussion this, this go-around was Gonzaga. Now I feel like we're sleeping on them. Why are we doing that? Because they haven't broken through. Honestly, that's why. And their guard play is not great. Um, you know, Andrew Nemhard's not walking through that door. Jalen Suggs is not walking through that door. But to his credit, Rasir Bolden, who had combined for just 12 points in the last three games, had a great game this past weekend against TCU. Drew Timmy's got to get some help, fellas. And if Bolden and Julian Strother supply it, guess what? The Zags will make the Final Four. I just don't know if they can. But maybe, maybe being under the radar is better for Mark Hughes' team. John Fanta is everywhere. He is everywhere all at once. John, thank you so much. Appreciate you, man. I know you got more work to get back to. There's breaking coaching news, too, so I'm sure you'll have more on that uh, coming up. Thanks, John. Thank you, guys. I'm going to sprint to Washington Airport and get on a flight to Vegas. See ya. Good luck. There you go. There he is, uh, John Fanta there. Give us the news, Jeff. Micah Shrewsbury of Penn State is leaving after only two seasons. He is finalizing a seven-year contract to become the next head coach at Notre Dame. So Notre Dame has their guy. They targeted from the beginning. They're hiring Penn State's Micah Shrewsbury. Seven-year deal. Uh, Shrewsbury did not want to talk about the contract until the season was over. They get put out by Texas in round number two. So uh, our producer, Collins, Notre yeah. Dame Fighting Irish, has their basketball coach. And, and they and find a good their coach one. and their former coach, Mike Bray. So the reports out that he this was This is take- from Matt Norlander, by the way. Okay. He was taking the job at US- USF, right? And then now he's going to TV. Because the conflicted reports were, well, he's getting a better offer on TV. And then uh, South Florida was like, well, they never, we never offered officially. <laughs> and so, which is it? Like, it, it was bizarre. Um, well, they probably, here's how I translate that I think South Florida wanted him. They were deep in conversations. And then Bray just probably backed out for, you know, the money or the opportunity there wasn't what he was really looking for and decided, I'll just go do some television for a while, then yeah. wait maybe for next year and see if I want to coach yeah, again. Pete Thamel said, like, he he told ESPN that he interviewed for the job but was never offered the job, right? I, I don't but, think either side is lying. Okay. I it's think semantics. South Florida ultimately wanted him, but he decided to back out before the official offer was made. It's interesting because it sounds like he still wanted to coach. Yeah. You know, and how quickly that changed there. Could we have Mike Bray and, and Bayheim on the same set? Oh gosh, that'd be awesome. Uh, well, Bayheim on any set would be any set. But I mean, if that, he was just being himself, it'd be so uncomfortably awkward. It would make you just for great need television. To put the ball on the tee. I do them. like this move for Notre Dame though, because uh, Shrewsbury's a guy who has a great offensive system, and they and spreads it out and plays yeah. a fun brand of basketball, and that's it's a good move for Notre Dame and the ACC to to bring him. In. It's not a no brainer that you leave Penn State for Notre Dame. So, good job by Notre Dame for making this happen. No doubt. We've got more news on that. We'll update you on some of the signings, some trades in the NFL. Plus, we're all a big fan of Top Golf. There's a baseball version of that. And one's been built, and there's more about to hit across the region and country. It's next now, Kick 360. Chad, 
Notre Dame has a new basketball coach, and Penn State has an opening. Outkick 360 rolls on. Micah Shrewsbury headed to Notre Dame. Seven-year deal is what's being reported. After only two years at Penn State, got them to the NCAA tournament this year. Did a terrific job and uh, is an offensive-minded head coach. So Notre Dame lands the guy they wanted from the beginning. Elijah Moore has been a receiver in New York that's asked for a trade last offseason. Now he gets it this offseason. He's headed to Cleveland. So the Browns add Elijah Moore. The Jets then signed Mecole Hardiman, free agent from Kansas City. They already have Alan Lazard. And Connor Hughes, who is with SNY, he reports that the Jets have big interest in Odell Beckham Jr. And that this would link up with the relationship that he has with, of course, Aaron Rodgers. OBJ has the injury history recently, and he's got a big price tag. Somewhere in the middle, the Jets would like to reach an agreement there. They're also going to eventually make a move with Corey Davis. Uh, It's already assumed he's not going to be a part of their roster based on what they can save. My guess is they try to move him via trade, and if they can't, uh, maybe it's a part of the trade for, for Rodgers. Don't know that. And if they can't, maybe they get some benefit of a post-June 1st designation. Nonetheless, you have Alan Lazard, Miko Hardeman, and potentially Odell Beckham Jr. joining Garrett Wilson. And then you have Aaron Rodgers, plus that backfield that would be coming together. It's amazing how quickly the Jets have gone from punchline to super team. <laughs> That's what yeah. they're building. I mean, I mean it, it happened quickly. Going into this year, hey, the Jets might actually have a decent roster. They did a good job in the draft that they might be okay. It would be a total Jets thing, though, to not have Rodgers join the team after all this. Well, it'd also be a total Jets thing to be like the super team the Lakers tried to put together with Steve Nash at the end of his career. That was terrible. Or Dwight Howard. (laughs) Like it's going to be that type of super team, not the big three going to South Beach. This doesn't feel that way, With the heat, it's going to be the opposite. It is the Jets, but I'm with you. It does not feel that way. Talking to the Jets fan earlier. Yeah, they're very skeptical. Jets fans, I feel like it's going to work out. I hope it does for them. Chad, well, Top Golf's amazing, and it's fun. There's a version of this that is in Katy, Texas, that's uh, trying to branch out and do more of what Top Golf has done, which is massive venues, spends what forty to fifty million to build, and then they just print cash. Well, there's a baseball version of this called Home Run Dugout in Katy, Texas. And it's going to open, if not this week, next week. And like Topgolf, it combines sports, food, and entertainment. And then it also has like the upscale version of what you would be looking for from a private area at Topgolf, where it's a full-service restaurant. They have three bars, all these craft beers, 12 virtual batting bays. They have a beer garden baseball mini field for wiffle ball outside. And live music, there's a concert stage that they can pull out for different size events, a dog park as well. And Nolan Ryan is helping fund this. And the the goal is to branch it out further. And because of the virtual batting base, you don't have to have like a sweaty helmet on or, you know, whatever. Uh, They're saying this is the seven mile per hour fastball hotbed is what they're calling this. And you go in and have a blast. What is a virtual batting bay? Or I, you're not hitting an actual ball? You're, I think you know you're hitting an actual ball, but you're just 
I mean, it's like a soft toss deal where you hit it just throws it's like up a and you're virtual, it and it's showing you where it would go. Yeah, it's like a virtual golf field. simulator okay. thing. Um, that's how I read into it anyway. I'm very. This is awesome. First off, I like the idea, the concept. I would love to go play wiffle ball on that field with some buddies, cool. yeah. and go there and reserve the field and play. And I'll also say this: my first instinct is looking at this through the eyes of who owns it or the manager there and all the liability. But, you know, Top Golf does it, but it's a stationary ball. But you are swinging clubs with people that are drinking. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a certain level of insurance that someone's going to let that club slip and hurt someone badly. Now you're throwing in the variable of a ball coming at you, even if it's slow. So there's something there. But then I think back up and I think, you know, if they allow you to drink and throw an axe, sure. which they do all over the country now, anything is possible. I am always blown away. When you go to an axe throwing place, that they just you, they hand you a pitcher I mean, of beer. We were allowed to in play one hand. They hand you a pitcher of beer in one hand, and then they hand you the axes in the other. Oh, and say, I know, go it's have so fun. And then you go get the axe off the wall. There's no training. There right could be the... someone behind you with the axe, not paying attention, and throws it at. I mean, it's amazing what you get away with at an axe throwing place. Yeah, they, so if they can do that, then they can do this with baseball. And they allowed me it's you fun. and Clay on a kickball team together. That was uh, BYOB. That's true. I mean, that usually just leads to more of like muscle pulls. Yeah. The older you get, the dehydration. And, if argu- you're drink- and arguments with umpires. Yeah. Arguments with umpires. Uh, the beer drinking leads to dehydration, which leads to muscle pulls. That's really the big threat there. But the axe throwing part of this, it's, a, it's remarkable this continues. And that we don't hear about awful things happening. I mean, I, I haven't yet. Now that have, you say that, though, I'm sure there's something. We have There's heard going to be some, some serial um, killer that here's this. I'm like, that's my next target, the axe throwing uh, event down in it, it's downtown here, and I've seen them across the NFL markets for sure. I'm watching the show Poker Face on Peacock. Yeah, yeah I've seen that. It's really good. It's sort, it's sort of like a modern day Columbo. I mean, every week it's a different mystery of the week, and it's this uh, woman who who she was in American Pie. Natasha Lyonne is the, yes. the, the, okay. the yeah. actress, but she can read people's lies. Like her superpower is she can tell, ask you a question. She knows if you're lying or not, but doesn't necessarily know the truth. So she's solving murders all over the country because she can tell people whether or not they're lying. But every week is some crazy, looks like the perfect murder is how it starts. And then she has to unpack it and figure out what happened. But you see the murder in the beginning. And now what you've got me thinking, Hutton, is the perfect murder could take place in an axe-throwing place because you fake an accident if you wanted to kill someone and you could get away with it. I mean, I guess. It, 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 the premeditation would be hard to prove. Yeah. So at worst, is it manslaughter? I don't know. We'll have to get a lawyer on top about that. What's yeah. Stephen P. New up to? <laughs> Can he come back on and explain that? <laughs> on top of explaining libel laws to us? Yeah. Uh, the the uh, So I was reading something on Goodell. He got the extension, or will get the extension when the contract uh, expires, and they're trying to extend him through 2027. Um, so on top of everything else that's gone right, the average team, the, the previous three uh, organizations that sold, it was like an average of just under $700 million for the franchise. The Vikings were one of them. And what we're seeing now is an average between 4 and $6 billion, where the average value of an NFL franchise now is over $6 billion. Um, and then you've got the sale that was averaging... Two to three billion on the last three franchises we've seen actually on the market, and it's only going to rise with Washington. You've got Seattle coming up next, and then who knows the other franchises. But it's never been better, 
And so when I, I saw the social media reaction to 65, 70 million a year for Goodell. He's worth every penny for that. He protects the owners and they make a ton of money and they will continue to do so with the streaming rights coming in. They're taking everything on their app, which eventually they're going to charge more for, I'm sure. And, you know, football does nothing but produce ratings. Is it the best gig in all of sports? You could argue it's one of them. There's big responsibility yeah. there, and you're working too, obviously. But, man, that is a great gig. And if Solid you just gig. keep the money train rolling, which you can do, I which know, I think man. a lot of people could do, you got to deal with a lot of stuff. But if you keep that money train rolling, you're going to keep making $65, $70 million a year. Yeah, we're back at it tomorrow. Hope you'll join us starting at 3 o'clock Eastern right here on Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. And so I think, I thank all of you. And I am because you are. 